Uh, we say good morning to our friends who are on YouTube or Facebook or maybe uh, later on this week you're joining us uh, on a podcast somewhere. And whichever way that you're choosing to uh, uh, have community with us, we're grateful for that and we say welcome. Um, as always, you can find the information that's happening this week and every week here at Crossroads and throughout the community at ccmonline.org and on our Facebook page as well. So make sure to check that out. Uh, friends, we're going to be praying together, receiving communion together, and so if you're at home and you're looking for something uh, to use to receive the communion meal, um, you can do that. Whatever you have uh, in your kitchen is all right with us today. The important thing is that we're receiving a meal together in the same way that Jesus did with his friends, uh, with his disciples. So we say welcome to everybody online, and uh, we say good morning. We're in uh, the season of the church called Ordinary Time. Can y'all say ordinary? Right? So it's not Advent. It's not Christmas. It's not Lent. It's not Easter. It's not Pentecost. You know, it is ordinary. Everybody say ordinary. And that takes up most of our time. We love holidays, but most of our life is the eating, sleeping, drinking, walking around life, right? where we are learning how to live with God and follow God in the ordinary. And I love that, you know, in the ordinary times, we're bringing prayers to God and saying, God, here's my very ordinary life. Or yesterday was so extraordinary that if I don't pray, I'm not going to breathe well. (sighs) Right? And so the passages in uh, the lectionary this week start with Abraham and Sarah following Uh, Psalm 33, which we read in the call to worship today, where we're actually opening up stringed instruments and all of our lives to say we want to acknowledge that God made everything, right? And we need God. Everybody, we need God. Anybody want to say that today? We need God. I know we need God. And so, and then in the New Testament, it's fabulous because it is Matthew 9, where Jesus invites Matthew to follow him. And then he goes to Matthew's house and goes to a tax collector party. You ever been to one of those? Nope. Yes, you have. If you've been to my house, you've been to a tax collector party. Not because I'm a tax collector, because, but it was because religious people were saying, why are you eating with those kind of people? Right? And I know where you eat. I know that's All the places. Like, I want to eat with everybody because if I think I can't eat with you, then somebody's going to think they can't eat with me. And so there is this invitation to follow Jesus, to live like Jesus, to eat like Jesus, to walk like Jesus, right? And then you'll notice in this passage as we read it that then somebody asked Jesus to follow him, to to follow them to go heal somebody. Have you ever asked Jesus, come follow me to come touch this person? Would you follow me to go be with this person? And I find it fascinating that Jesus wants to follow people where they're going too. that it's not a master-slave relationship even as Jesus said I don't call you servants I call you my friends and friends can ask friends can you come with me in this hard situation right here so even as we read the passage today just hear whatever is yours to hear because there are a lot of people in this room with a lot of stories of this week And so you can come and light a candle or put a prayer up or just close your eyes in the passage as we read it. 
allow yourself to be with God. You might want to say, God, would you follow me to the prayer board as I put this prayer up? I, I need you with me today. Or Jesus might say, will you follow me into the quiet because your week has been wild. And so I just want you to sit here and listen to the words of life from the gospel of Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And when Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my, my, my daughter just died. But come and put your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and went with him. And so did his disciples. And just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And she said, if only I could touch his cloak, I will be healed. And Jesus turned and said to her, take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed in that moment. And when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand. And she got up. And news of this spread through all that region. I invite you into the quiet and see where you want to follow in the story. What you hear from God and what God is inviting you to do in your ordinary and extraordinary life. See yourself in a moment where um, you're asking Jesus to come to your house and touch someone. Or maybe you think Jesus has bigger things to do than listen to you today. But you get brave like that woman and you reach out. Even though there's big things in the world, 
Jesus wants to stop and say, who's reaching out to me right now? Maybe you feel a little bit like a, a sinner or a tax collector today invited to the table. And yet Jesus is inviting you. I'll invite you to stand with me as we hold elements of bread and wine and remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread even with those that would betray him and lifted it up and gave thanks and said, take this, all of you. This, my body, will be given for you and for all people. And every time you eat, remember me in your everyday, ordinary eating life. And think of who's not at the table that you want to invite. The people, some people wouldn't want to be at the table, but Jesus does. And after supper, Jesus lifted the cup and said, take this, all of you, and drink. This is the cup of the new covenant. My blood will be shed for you and for all people so that sins will be forgiven. And every time you drink, remember me. And if we could say together, Jesus, we remember you. Jesus, we remember you. And wherever you choose to take communion today, whether you want to look into the face of someone else or you want to get your communion from the back table and be alone or with just one other person you came with, we invite you to know that you are following Jesus by making a choice to come in whatever way you want. Amen. It's so good to be with you today, to sing with you, to take communion with you, to be together. And we pray that your soul would find refuge today in this place, wherever you are on your journey. So we want to welcome you um, and connect with you in whatever ways you want. So if you are here for the first time, we would love to welcome you back at the Next Steps kiosk. After the service, we have a gift for you. We'd love to get to know a little bit about you and why you stopped in. Um, and if you're online with us, we'd love to connect with you online. You can go to that QR code, and it takes you through a fun quiz that talks about how you can connect back with Crossroads. Um, and we want to let you know that tomorrow night is our food pantry, and we are so excited to serve um, our brothers and sisters in Calhoun County, um, and we are so grateful for all of you who volunteer and make that possible. Um, Peggy Searles uh, somewhere in here. Woo! And Peggy, Peggy the <laughs> truck arrives at 4 o'clock, right? 
3.30. So if you happen to be available at 3.30 tomorrow, that is a time where more hands are needed. Um, and if you get off work and can come at 5.30, that's also great. Um, but it's a great time to connect with people in our community, to um, serve. We turn this into a grocery store, and it's such a unique experience to walk with people on their journey. And then we also want to let you know that next weekend, um, we're going to be celebrating Juneteenth um, at the Albion Juneteenth celebration. And I do want to just point out that Kelly Short's picture got here. I think somebody heard Albion and Kelly and yeah. put right, the wrong Kelly right. on You're the screen. You're in charge, Kelly. Um, we have another great Kelly from <laughs> Albion. Yes. Kelly Finn, can you raise your hand? <laughs> um, we are so excited to celebrate freedom next weekend, to celebrate with all of our brothers and sisters in our community. And this celebration has Jaquiel Short and Jeff, Jeff and Taneka Thomas's band Airtight performing. Woo! So we're just really excited to go and celebrate with people. If you want to volunteer to work at the table that Crossroads is going to have, you can reach out to Kelly Finn um, at that phone number. We would love to have you. But most of all, we just want to invite you to participate, to be with others as we celebrate the freedom that we want to continue to have together as a people. And our last announcement is that our middle schoolers are going on a road trip at the end of the summer. I know my husband's super excited to go to Craig's Cruisers and have a great day there. So if you have a middle schooler or know a middle schooler who would enjoy doing that, we would encourage you to sign up. There are still some spots available. So that's what's happening at Crossroads. Is it, am I supposed to be here now? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Neil said, I'm glad you made it to church. I said, I am too. <laughs> Thank God. Aren't you glad to be in church? Those of you online, those of you in the room, our kids, it's, it's just good to be in God's presence together, to worship together. I want to talk to you this morning. This is our last week in the book of Nehemiah. Some of you are really glad about that. Some of you not as much. But um, if you've missed anything in the book of Nehemiah, just encourage you to go back. We've been talking about this amazing leader in the Old Testament for weeks now. And I just think we've kind of scratched the surface and we'll scratch a little more today. And then we'll uh, trust that God continues what he's planted in our souls, the seeds that he's planted in our soul as we move forward. I want to talk to you this morning about uh, three easy steps to become a multimillionaire. <laughs> there were six people that laughed, and everybody else was like, awesome. <laughs> no, uh, seriously, two easy steps to build your own kingdom. Um, no, that's a joke, too. Nobody laughed at that one, because everybody wanted to do that, apparently, except Claire. No. She was going to rush the stage. I felt like uh, there was one piece uh, in the book of Nehemiah, and it's really just a phrase uh, that I wanted to land on. Um, I really do love the book of Nehemiah. And um, out of Nehemiah comes that phrase, um, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's a great phrase. Would have been a great phrase maybe for me to talk about today. But um, 
I had a different phrase kind of reach out and grab me. It's actually a scripture we've already read, so I'm going to read it. Let's, let's read it together here. Um, when, I'll read it to you. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? And this is where my attention is drawn. Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing on it will break down their wall of stones. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own hands. Give them over to plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from their, your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt. Everyone say rebuilt. We rebuilt the wall till it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. And once again, can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble? burned as they are, burned stones. It's amazing that God can take what's been burned and build beautiful things. And the reality of your life and mine is there's burning that goes on. And there's an alarm for some reason that went off just now. If it wasn't my phone, but it was yours, we have a rule here. If your phone goes off while somebody's speaking, you have to buy us all pizza at the end of church. So you might want to silence that. Anyway, um, Claire and I, a friend of ours, uh, used to be a pastor. He's now a business owner. And he went through a really difficult time in his life, still is actually going through a really difficult time in his life, and we had a conversation with him recently, and he said, um, I know enough of your story. He lives in a different part of the state. He just said, I know enough of your story to know that there's got to be some incredible resiliency in your life. And how does that happen? Where does that come from? Now, the truth is, um, outside of situations like the thief on the cross, we all need to be resilient. Resiliency may be one of the most important parts of our life and our faith. Because there are very few of us that will experience that kind of brief walking with Christ. The truth about us is this is a journey. Now, resiliency is simply this, put in simple terms, just the capacity to bounce back. Kind of, for those of us that are a little bit older, to take a licking and keep on ticking. Now, some of us, when we turn to God, we turn to God to try to insulate ourselves from the challenges of life. There's never anywhere that the scripture tells us that that's going to happen. It's not a promise. It's not an invitation. 
the truth of the matter is we're all going to have challenges and we're going to need to be resilient people. The promise really is in this life you'll have trouble. The promise really is you'll be a burnt stone. It'll just take some time. So at some point, you're going to be in need of getting back on the wall after going through some fire. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. So I felt like when our friend talked to us that um, I wanted to try to just give a few things that I've noticed, that Claire and I have noticed. Um, we could talk about resiliency for days on end, but I just have a few things I want to talk to you about. Now, when the scripture tells us here, for instance, in Proverbs twenty-four sixteen, though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. There is a reality to the righteous will fall seven times. Now, that word seven there in the scripture, a lot of you know that that's like the number of perfection. And then, of course, it just means seven. But actually what's implied here is like it is when numbers are used other times. For instance, when Jesus speaks, that there's just there's just falling. But it could also mean just disappointment in your life, hardness, letdown, hurt, betrayal, injury, health issues, disappointment, being mistreated, being surprised by bad things, trials, shocking accidents. James 1 says it this way. James, the brother of Jesus, says this. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance or resilience, some versions say. Let resilience or perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. So when the scripture in Proverbs tells us you'll fall seven times, what you really need to understand is the invitation is you need to get up at least eight. If you can just get up one more time, then the thing that comes against you and causes you to fall or step back, that is the definition of resilience. And you will, be, you will become mature and complete and you'll lack in nothing. You ever, when you were growing up, did you ever, uh, some of you are, well, I guess we all are growing up, hopefully. Some of us are growing in a lot of ways, but um, anyway... Uh, did you ever have one of those deals where the teacher gave you all the answers before you took the test? So you simply have to study to succeed. I remember I had a friend of mine, we were going through driver's ed together, and uh, the driver's ed teacher we had gave us all the answers, essentially, to the exam we were going to take for the state, and my buddy kept failing it. Of course, you know, in high school, nobody's, nobody's very kind to, or few people are kind to their friends in those situations. They just start laughing like, you're not going to ever be able to drive. He eventually did get his license. But some people aren't able to pass the test even when they get the answers, right? Some of us aren't able to do that. For whatever reason, we get the answer. But I would say this, God is more interested in our process than he is simply in just giving us a bunch of answers and telling us everything to do. God is more interested in giving us the capacity and the internal structure 
to hear, to find, and to respond to God's will. That's why sometimes, not the, the trials that befall you or the things that come upon you, God, uh, I'm not saying that God is the author of those things, but that's why sometimes it's not so quick when we cry out that we get an answer and everything turns around. So I want to give you really quick three unremarkable and unexciting but prominent attributes of a resilient life. Say this after me. Three unremarkable, unexciting, but prominent attributes of a resilient life. Sounds so exciting, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds so good. I'm glad I came to church today to hear unremarkable stuff. But I will tell you, this is, this is unremarkable, unexciting, but it's prominent. And if you and I live into these three things, there's other things I could talk about, but I believe at the core of my heart, obviously the given is, before we talk about the three, the given is stay in pursuit of Jesus. If you want to be resilient, just as we've already talked about, just keep on following. Don't let anything stop you from following. The first unremarkable thing is gratitude. Resilient people are gratitude people. There's a lot of studies uh, going on now about how the brain gets rigid over time. They call it, some, some uh, scientists call it rigid brain or rigid mind. And they say that gratitude is the one thing or one of the things, one of the primary things that they find that keeps our mind, our brain pliable. Now we know, those of us that have been around here long enough, that when we talk about the mind, for instance, like in Romans 12 too, we're talking about more than just our thinking part of our brain our being. It's our head, it's our heart, it's our body, it's our whole person. So when we talk about the mind, giving gratitude with our whole body, but to become rigid. And these are the, these, some of these studies are around people, they're watching people that, for instance, might get dementia or Alzheimer's and, you know, what causes that? What causes the rigidity? It's not the only thing that's going on, but they've noticed that a life of gratitude helps us stay more pliable. They call it lubricating the brain. To train your brain to see opportunity and be in the posture of gratitude. See, the lack of gratitude in our lives produces stiffness, hardness, inflexibility, stuckness. It's one of the main reasons why you and I need to be very careful how much of the negativity of the world that we allow ourselves to ingest. I would, I would say that some of us need to pay an awful lot more attention to giving gratitude and a lot more attention to noticing how much negativity we're allowing to be fed into our brain, our mind, our head, our heart, and our gut, and the spirit. It is dangerous in every way, and it will wear you down. If you want to get off the resilience train, just keep on feeding on that stuff. That is really, honestly, the way of the world. 
to lubricate our brain is to see the good. Like in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Paul says this. He just says, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you and for me in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for us. This is lubricating our spirit, lubricating our brain, lubricating our body. This is how it happens. A rigid brain or mind is the mind or brain that is set on what's missing, what's going wrong, the difficulties of the world. Now, what we're not talking about is denial that there's problems. There's there's plenty of problems. There's plenty of things that you could worry about. But what we're talking about is that's not my campsite. We're not talking about burying our head in the sand. We recognize there's issues. That's why Kobe's going to the Philippines. There's a problem. So she's going to insert herself into the Philippines to try to help address the problem, right? It's a positive way to address a negative thing. The second unremarkable but prominent attribute, oh, no, wait, I want to step back. I want to do a kind of a quiz test evaluation real quick here. I, 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 these answers I can't give you because that's part of the quiz. But I, I would love to. But I so resist telling you. It's simply this. I want you to, we're just going to go silent for a few seconds. And I want you to think of three things that you're grateful for. Now, I just want you to pay attention to how easy that was for you or how hard that was for you. And just give attention to that. And let that inform maybe how you're doing with gratitude. Is it flowing out of you easily or is it a little harder than you're comfortable with? The second unremarkable but prominent attribute is faithfulness. Nehemiah's language would be one brick at a time. Johnny Cash and the Auto Workers Union uh, would be that, their term would be one piece at a time. That's a joke. You have to be old enough to remember that old Johnny. It's a Detroit thing, trust me. Anyway, um, are you guys, are you guys familiar, you, you know, faithfulness is like this, doing something good over a period of time, Right? It's what we're called to, being faithful people. A lot of you remember or are familiar uh, with, there's a story in Matthew 25. It's one of the renditions of it where Jesus is talking about, it's a parable. Uh, a master goes away, and he's got these uh, servants, and he gives the servants talents. He gives one of them, which basically just think of money, okay? Gives one one talent, uh, gives another one two talents, gives another one five talents, and he says, you know, I want you to do good things, essentially, with the talents. Goes away, comes back, the guy with five, or the person with five, has a five, returns five, so doubles that. The person with two brings back two uh, and doubles that. And then the person with one said, you know, I was frightened. I hit it under a, a rock, basically. I, I buried it so I could give you back what you gave to me. I wanted to do that. 
And Jesus doesn't commend that person, but this is the statement that he uses for the other two. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, so I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in the master's happiness. Now, this this issue of faithfulness over time sometimes is easier than other times, right? Like for me, I'm not a diet guy. I never have been. I mean, I, I... I'm not like a downer on diets, but I just like, I figured, you know, yeah, just whatever. I don't even want to, I don't even want to get myself into more trouble uh, this morning, but I'm not a diet guy. But COVID, let's be honest, COVID and then post-COVID supersize me diet is a real thing, right? Like this over time, just eating and you know, so we have at our house what, what I'm referring to as the NBA PPP. NBA PPP. That is the NBA. So I'm not like a huge fan of the NBA. I like to watch a game once in a while. Uh, if the Pistons were in the playoffs, I'd be watching that. But I'm not real big on the NBA. I like college sports a little bit more. So, but my grandsons, they love the NBA. So I love my grandson. So we have started this thing, kind of started during COVID with other sports, but it's really intensified with this NBA playoff thing. It's just been my downfall. Anyway, um, where we, we get, they come down to the house if there's some game that's prominent, but in the playoffs, they're Celtics fans, but even now for the finals, it's like we get together and it's now automatic. A pizza gets ordered. So, like, think about this. Like, every two days, you're eating pizza. Now, when I was 16, that was awesome. I would say when I was 30, that was awesome. But I am in pain now. Like, this NBA PPP. So, about 10 days ago, I'm like, you guys are done with this, right? Or whenever it was, like, the Celtics lost. And I was thinking, good, I don't have to eat pizza anymore. At least for a while. Like, maybe, like, one piece occasionally, right? But it was a part of the deal. And then they're like, oh, no, we want to do the finals. We don't even care who wins. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, they just want to be with me. Or they probably just want to be with the pizza. And I'm the one that's providing the pizza. So I'm like, I'm done. I, can't, I cannot do this. Because, you know, one piece of pizza every once in a while is not a problem. Because I'm feeling like crap. Like, really, I, I'm just being honest. This is too much. So I stopped eating the pizza. Um, I don't know, maybe it's been a week ago or something. Because it's too much. Because I know that I've been too faithful to the pizza. (laughs) But when we're faithful to the right, right things... It's a good thing. It can be hazardous to our emotional, mental, and spiritual health to think it's God's job to always bail us out even when we're not being faithful. Or that someone else should always bail us out. Now, I'm not saying that you're, like it's uh, quid pro quo, like your faithfulness equals this pile of benefits But what I am saying is it creates an environment of resilience and there are benefits that will come in your life from that. So, remember this, God works in the mundane. It's where 
brought up to me earlier as we were driving over. This is what's called in the church calendar, ordinary time. We have now, I love it, we have now entered into ordinary time. This is the, or, there's, we're not around the holidays and stuff. We're not around like Easter and Lent and Advent and all that. This is ordinary time. This is a big chunk of the year in the church calendar. And it speaks to this, I believe, this faithfulness. And I just want to give you a question with this. Who are you faithfully choosing to become today? When we talk about faithfulness, it's connected to who you are and your relationship with God. Who are you choosing to become today? And I would invite you to pay attention to that every day when you wake up. Who am I becoming today? And what am I committed to? And I'm going to faithfully pursue that. And the last unremarkable but prominent attribute of resilience is humility. And I just want to ask you, how do you play after a bad day? I, I was listening to somebody that's done really well with sports betting. And this person was talking about, they were kind of sharing their formula. I don't do sports betting, so um, I'm not going to give you too many details for those of you that do sports betting. Because um, if you use the formula I'm about to give, you will blame me. Um, for giving you a bad formula, but it made a lot of sense what he said. He said that he's made a lot of money in sports betting, and what he most pays attention to is how athletes, how they respond after they play a horrible game. How do they play after a bad day? He said everybody else is, he said everybody else is paying attention to the momentum, everybody else is paying attention to who's on a hot streak, and he said, and that's good and it's totally understandable. He said, but that's not where the money's made. The money's made is in, in the pattern of athletes that respond powerfully after playing really poorly. He said, because nobody wants to bet on them. Usually, he said, athletes are judged by their best moments. And I would say God is looking for our response, not just in our best moments. It's easier to respond well in our best moments, but God's looking how we're going to respond in our worst moments. And the invitation is to take on the mindset of Jesus. He took on, we know in Philippians, and we know just by reading the scriptures, that Jesus took on human form, humus. We were made out of dirt. It's the same etymology. The, the word human and humus and humble are all connected words. In other words, to become the most human, in many ways, we become the most human when we are humble. Think about it. It's hard to get to destroy someone that is humble. They're centered. They're grounded. They operate kind of low to the ground. They have a stability and a strength to them. Maybe some of you have seen those old movies or, you know, where the king is sitting there like eating his food and 
you know, enjoying his wine and stuff, and all of a sudden he knocks over a cup, and he gets really ticked off, and it's like, who put the cup there, right? Like, it's not about that he was clumsy. Who put the cup there? Who was dumb enough to put the cup there? Now, there's no servant in those movies, that I've seen at least, that stands up and says, you are a stupid, clumsy king. What does the servants do? What do the servants do? They grab a towel, they rush over, and they begin to wipe up what needs to be cleaned up. Arrogance is not good for your resiliency. The arrogant, or those that lift themselves up, are always looking for someone to blame. Like everything's everybody else's deal. It's their fault. And you know what? When we operate in arrogance, it is a long way down. That's why a lot of times when you see people that are extremely talented and you sense that they've got a high level of arrogance when they have a downfall, it's really hard for them to get back up. But the people like the servants, humble people look for a solution forward. How do we get through this and how do we move forward? They abound with resilience. Kind of sounds like Jesus that taking a towel, doesn't it? And wiping it up. And while the world keeps saying, you know, this is a mess, this world's a mess, it's horrible, it's terrible, Jesus is busy continuously coming back on the scene in our lives, trying to clean it up. And he's inviting us to give him more opportunity to operate in our lives through resiliency. Let me leave you with this scripture here. In Philippians 2. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Everyone say mindset. That's where we started. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Sounds like humility. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now listen, this is beautiful and powerful, and don't miss it. Therefore, so when you see therefore in the scriptures, so there's this descriptive that we've just been given by the Apostle Paul, and then there's this therefore, in other words, Pay attention to this and respond to what is being said. Therefore, God exalted, God resurrected him, is what I would say. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It was humility that raised Jesus from the dead. The most resilient act of all, the resurrection, was facilitated by Jesus' humility.
he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Don't worry about accolades. Don't worry about the trophies. If you win them, that's great. Accolades are awesome. Awards, tremendous. Look for the approval of God. God will exalt you in due season, but humble yourself in the presence of God. So let's just end with this question for our week as we go. Do we have that on the slide? If not, I'll just read it. Okay, for prayer and reflection this week. When considering resilience for your own life, where do you have the most room for growth? And what can I do to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work in my life? When considering resilience, where do I have the most room for growth? And what can I do to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work in my life? I love the book of Nehemiah, and one of the primary reasons is the humility of Nehemiah. But nobody liked Jesus. Amen? And the invitation for us is to grow in gratitude, faithfulness, humility. And in light of that, one more time, let's read it together. When considering resilience, where do I have the most room for growth? And what can I do to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work in my life? So Lord, help us all in our pursuit of you. We want to be resilient people. And we desire that we would, we would have a new level of resilience in our lives. This is, a, this is a crazy, crazy situation we're all living in. And that's just how the world is. But we know you made us for this. So we open ourselves to new and fresh levels of the Holy Spirit's activity in our life and new and fresh levels of resilience.